Bible, please, to turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. And uh, I, you should have heard our conversation up here. Brother Ralph said, oh, Tom, he said, Chuck has come in. I said, Ralph, I think the service, you know, we're having a special music. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to call on him when I get up there. He said, do it. He'll be right there to share his testimony. Brother Ralph, if you'll uh, go out and talk to Chuck a little bit about his testimony. Or you just get up and share your EE testimony. That would be about as good. Exodus chapter 19. Guess God bless you for being here tonight. And uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, let me say that we're on a journey through the book of Exodus. We've come to one of the most uh, crucial passages of Scripture in Exodus. By the way, for those of you who are uh, Bible students, scholars, uh, you might want to make a mental note of the fact that beginning with chapter 19, all the way through the balance of Exodus for the most part, and uh, then into Leviticus, and for the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers, you have the law, the covenant law that God is giving to Israel. And it has some tremendous truths in it which we do not want to miss. But it's a huge passage of Scripture from Exodus 19 right on through the end of that book. Now, there are some little excerpts here and there, and we're going to be looking at every one of those which tell us about the life of the children of Israel and the wilderness. And, of course, then Leviticus, uh, which is the law, and Numbers, uh, which is a tremendously exciting book to read. A lot of people say, how could you get excited about Numbers? You read the book of Numbers, it is a, it's a great, great book filled, just packed with Scripture truth. And I want to remind you that when we get to that passage, we're going to be getting a, a glimpse into heaven because the tabernacle in the wilderness that God instructed the children of Israel to build is a picture of heaven, an earthly picture of the infinite glory of heaven. And we're making our way gradually to there. Tonight I want to speak on this subject, how to start something big. Now that doesn't seem to be much of a problem for some of you all. How to start something big. I, uh, I heard about a man who uh, went with his family to a very high-class restaurant. And uh, when he got to the restaurant, uh, he noticed on the outside of the door, it said that uh, people who ate in the evening time at this restaurant had to have not only a shirt, they had to have a tie. And he didn't bring a tie with him, but he didn't take it very seriously anyway. He thought, you know, I brought my family. How could they turn a guy like me down, family man? You know, they're not going to tell me no. But the major D did. He said, no, I'm sorry. He said, only people who wear ties can eat here in the evening. He said, well, I don't have a tie, and I brought my family, and they're going to go hungry. He said, I'm sorry. If you don't have a tie, you can't eat. And he got just terribly mad uh, at these folks for, you know, in, embarrassing him like that. And he went out of the car with his family, and suddenly he had an idea, and he thought, I'm going I'm, I'm to handle that. And so he reached into the trunk of his car, and he got out a set of jumper cables, and he tied them around his neck, just like you would tie a tie, you know, a necktie. And he put him around his collar and everything. He walked back in. He said to the waiter, he said, okay, look, I've got my tie on. You've got to seat me. And the waiter said, okay. He said, uh, I'm going to give you a, a seat, but, uh, but don't try to start anything. <laughs> Was that good? You like that? Was that one? Huh? <laughs> stick, stick with the preaching, Brother Tom. I, oh, I just want to talk to you about starting something big tonight. Um, Something that's, that's good and big, something that's big and right, something that God uh, would receive the honor from, something that has God in it, not just something to get your attention, that's not the purpose, but how to be a part of something that is incredibly bigger than you. 
Um, I mentioned earlier that this passage in chapter 19 is the beginning of the giving of the law in the book of Exodus. Moses is at Sinai. That's not strange ground for him. Moses has been at Sinai before. That's where Moses heard the voice of God speaking to him out of the bush that was on fire but was not consumed. That's where he received his marching orders. Listen to this, at the age of 80. So Moses is over 80 years of age now. And he is back with the children of Israel. Here are about 1.6 million people camped at the edge of Mount Sinai. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, please. And let's look at this subject this evening, how to start something big. And I'd like for you to read with me aloud verse 3. Verse 3, Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. Will you follow along? You see it up there on the screen. And you can read aloud together with me. Let's read it together. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, my prayer is that you would show us this evening that your work is so much bigger than anything that we can contrive with our human imagination. Lord, what you have in store for us is so much larger than, than what we can, can uh, dream. Lord, your plans for us are so much bigger than our thoughts. You've said, I know the thoughts I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And so, Father, I pray that somehow this evening you will help us see what's necessary to become a part of the beginning of something that's so large that people will have to say, God alone must have done that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. I think the world has grown weary of seeing what man can do by himself. And I'm not speaking in terms of technology or science or uh, all the modern discoveries that we uh, benefit from today. I'm not speaking in terms of lifestyle. I'm not speaking in terms of the buildings you see downtown or in your neighborhood. I'm not speaking about that. But I think the world has grown weary of seeing man-sized churches as opposed to God-sized churches. And I'm not speaking in terms of numbers there. Bigger is not always better. You know, you can be big and weak. You can be small and strong. And God is interested in health. God is interested in strength. I think the world desperately longs to see a fellowship anywhere and know that God is in the midst of them. Now, that's what the world is looking for, to see a fellowship and to be able to say, you know, I really sense God there. I always get excited when somebody tells me, you know, when I drove in the parking lot, I just sensed that God was in this place. Or when I walk in the building, I just knew that God was in this place. I get excited when I hear people saying that. But, you know, that ought to be the common testimony, not the unusual testimony. I hear it a lot. But, you know, there are many times perhaps when you come onto the, pla onto the property or you come in this building and you're more aware of the presence of other people than you are the presence of God himself. There is an interesting experience among the children of, of the children of Israel in this book of Exodus, and we're going to be coming to it in uh, not too many weeks. 
It's that time when the children of Israel begin to worship a golden calf and Moses is up on the mountain receiving from God the commandments. And God finally, uh, God finally interrupts his discussion with Moses. And he says, I'm so angry with what the people of God, my people are doing, and that uh, I cannot continue. And Moses goes back down the mountain. And when he sees the people bowing down before this idol, you remember what Moses does? He, he throws down the tablets. He breaks the tablets of the law. And then he comes into the camp. He has this calf ground up into powder. He pours it in the water. He makes the people drink it. And then he asks, who's on the Lord's side? And the sons of Levi step across the line and they strap on their swords and about 3,000 people are killed for their idolatry that day. And then we read that Moses said to the children of Israel, I'm going to go up on the mountain. Perhaps, he said, I shall make an atonement for your sin. He begins to pray to God. He begins to beg God not to remove his presence from Israel. And finally, God says something like this. He says, okay, Moses, I'm going to give Israel what they want. I'm going to give them uh, provision, and I'm going to give them protection, and I'm going to give them direction. I'm going to see that you get to the land of Canaan. But he said, there's just one thing that you need to know. In the midst of giving you everything you want and the protection you want and the direction you want to Canaan, there's just one thing that's going to be missing. I will not be with you. And when God said that, Moses' heart stood still. And he's told the children of Israel, he said, I'm going to go to a retreat out here. He said, I'm going to, to a tent out here. He said, I'm going to get before God because, you know, it's terrible to have what God provides without having God. Now listen, we live in a society which would just as soon have what God can give us even if we didn't have God. I mean, there are a lot of people, any numbers of people, perhaps you tonight would confess, you know, as long as I can get the stuff God gives me, I don't care whether God ever shows up. It's, it makes me no difference whatsoever as long as I can get the things God has. And we are consumed. I was having a conversation with some folks the other night. We're consumed with materialism getting the stuff God gives without having God in our midst. Now listen to this. Moses went up on the mountain. He began to plead with them. And God said, all right, I'll, I'll give you all this, but I won't be with you. And here's Moses' statement. He said, Lord, if your presence go not with us, carry us not up from here. For wherein shall it be known that I and these people are yours? Is it not... Now, you could say, well, I know what it would be. It would be the, the plagues in Egypt. It could be the Red Sea. It could be the manna. It could be the water. He said, no, listen, how shall it be known that I and these people are yours? Is it not in that you go with us? He said, that's the distinction of Israel. Not the stuff, not the journey, but the fact that we are journeying with you. You go with us. Now, that's a big deal. And I want to speak this evening on that subject, how to start something big for God, not, not something you're doing as a favor to God, not something you're doing to get attention to yourself, but something so big only God could do it. That's the subject this evening. Now, you have your Bible in hand. Let's look again at verse 3 of Exodus chapter 19. Moses went up to God. The Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob 
and tell the children of Israel. There are three statements I want you to remember this evening. And once we have these three statements, we'll have a time of invitation and we'll be dismissed. And my prayer is that God will use these three statements and the preaching of the word to change your life. Here are the three statements. Go up, listen up, speak up. That's it. Go up, listen up, speak up. Now let's look. First of all, go up. Now notice, if you will, please, in verse 3, and Moses went up unto God. Moses went up unto God. Some people say that Moses probably went up on the mountain to meet with God because God called him first. But I want to tell you something. You can search the Scripture and you will not find anywhere that God initiated this. Now, God was waiting for Moses on that mountain. But somehow it was in the heart of Moses. That's where God started all. It was in the heart of Moses to go up and worship this God. He had met sometime before in that burning bush, the God who had performed all those miracles, the God who had empowered him, the God who had given him authority and credibility with the children of Israel. Moses went up to worship God. Now, I want you to put everything out of your mind for the next few minutes. Now, I want you to think with me about worshiping God. Go up. That's the phrase. Go up. And I'm speaking here about having a time day by day when you genuinely worship God. Now, listen. Worship is God-focused. Worship is not you getting something for yourself. Well, I'm going to open the Bible and maybe God will tell me something today. That's not worship. That's important, but that's not worship. Worship is not saying, well, I'm going to drop in and tell God everything that's on my heart and just trust that He's going to handle it. That's good. That's prayer. That's part of prayer, but that's not worship. Worship is when I bring myself before a holy God. Now listen, and I am more aware of who He is than who I am. Am. I am confident that the vast majority of what we call depression, I'm talking about the emotional, psychological symptom of depression. I am convinced that the vast majority of that, maybe not all, some of it is clinical and, and biological, I understand that, but the vast majority of it, I am convinced could be cured if we would spend time focusing upon who God is rather than who we are. How much time do you spend every day Focusing your attention upon who God is. What kind of a God do you serve? What He has done in your life. How He has saved you. What He has delivered you from. What He is delivering you unto. How powerful He is. How majestic He is. The fact that He is perfect, the fact that He is holy, the fact that everything God does is right, the fact that your heart cannot take its next beat without God's permission. 
You see, it's easy to become self-absorbed and it's easy to become uh, impressed with how little you can do and how small you are in face of all the overwhelming odds and obstacles you are confronting in your life. But Moses' purpose in this was to go up before God. I'm convinced that he chose to go up on the mountain because there's something about getting on that mountainside that would seem to make one a little bit closer, more removed from the things of the world and closer to the things of God. All right, when is it, where is it on a daily basis that you go up before the Lord? Where does that happen? When does that happen? How often does it happen in your life? If you want to be a part of something so big that it can only be explained in terms of God, you're going to have to, first of all, go up before God. You're going to have to give yourself to Him. You're going to have to worship Him. People have all kinds of definitions of worship. Sometimes we speak of being, as being to, to think on the worthship of God, how worthy He is of our praise, of our adulation, of our sacrifice of our surrender, of our trust, of our confidence, of our faith, how worthy he is of all that, how he has never broken a promise. But when is it in your daily life that you go up before God in prayer? Ian Bounds was a man of great prayer. He made this statement. You know, we get impressed about who we are and what we can do and how much we're worth and what everybody thinks of us and our credentials and our credibility and our accomplishments. And we get really enamored with all of that, don't we? But Ian Bounds made a, a fantastic statement. I hope you'll write it down someplace. Here's what he said. He said, what you are, this is in reality, what you are is what you are with God on your knees and that's all you are. Now, if you take the measure of the time you spend in prayer before God, on your knees, or just in prayer, bowed in spirit, if not physically, if that's the measure of a man, then how much are you? What are you? See, what you are is what you are with God on your knees, and that's all you are. All this other stuff doesn't amount to a hill of beans, as a friend of mine says. All the things you've done, all the credentials you have, all the things you have on your wall, all the pictures, all the compliments, all the trophies, all that stuff, that doesn't amount. One of these days, that's all going to be consumed just like that. The, 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 those pieces of parchment and those frames will be gone and the frames will be gone. Hey, I can tell you a little bit about how all that stuff goes and it's gone in a heartbeat. What is left, what you are is what you are with God on your knees. Now that's all you are. So take just a moment to reflect upon what you really are. You say, well, I want to start something big. I want to be a part of something so big. It can only be explained in terms of the divine. I want just God to be in the middle of that. First of all, you've got to go up before God. You've got to worship Him. You've got to become a person of prayer. You've got to become a person who spends your time focusing your attention upon who God is. Number two, listen up. Notice what it says here. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain. How do you listen to God? Now be careful here because if you're not cautious, you might do some things and steer yourself in some directions 
that seem so godly at first but don't have God in them at all. I have a friend who says, well, I begin every day saying, Lord, just guide my steps. And he says, I just do what I feel like doing all day long. Is that a correct way to function? I have uh, some friends who come to me and say, you know, I know, they'll say, Brother Tom, I know this is what the Bible says, but you know, in my situation, I believe God's telling me as if God would ever tell you something that is contradictory to what he has already said in his word. How do you listen to God? Well, first of all, you bring to them your life and surrender. You go up before God. But there is absolutely no way that you can listen to God without spending time in His Word. I want you to write this down someplace. Listening to God, listening to God requires the faithful study of what He says in His Word. Will you write that down? Listening to God requires the faithful study of what He says in His Word. I've tried over the years to be a student of Christian uh, history. In fact, Jeannie went out yesterday and she brought me two books. She's very proud of the books she bought me. One of them I started last night, a brand new biography of Billy Sunday's life and another brand new biography of, of Dwight L. Moody's life. I've read several biographies of both those men, but these are, are, are men who have written on the basis of further information that they have about these great men of God, men who, who significantly altered the pattern of Christian history in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their foibles and their, their follies. They're men whom God used in a remarkable way. And I want to tell you something. You can never, you can never do anything as a substitute for spending time in the Word of God. There's no substitute. Now, friends, let me just tell you, there's not a substitute for that. There's not any other kind of pill you can take. There's not anything kind of, kind of exercise that you can become a part of. There's not enough music you can listen to. There are not enough sermons and tapes and things like that that you can listen to. There is nothing in your experience that can take the place of hearing God on the basis of what He says by His Spirit and through His Word. That is incredibly important to you. Can you somehow grasp that? Now, the reason I say that is because I know of all kinds of people who are trying to be big for God and they scarcely spend any time in the Word of God. They just don't do it. I mean, they, they, they want to be big-hearted. They want to be big followers of God. They want to do mighty exploits of God. But they forget that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet, that the Word of God is a light unto our path, that the Word of God is our counselors, that the Word of God is what keeps us from sin, that the Word of God is what gives us direction, that the Word of God is what gives us the prayers to pray. Because when we read the Word of God, we see the will of God and we can pray according to His will. And the Bible says this is the confidence we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petition we desired of Him. I want you to write this down in your own heart. You can study all the biographies of great Christians you want. But you will never find anyone who did great exploits that can only be described in terms of the great and mighty presence of God in their life who did not somehow find the direction for their life through the consistent reading of the Word 
of God. And young people, let me just tell you something. Your school schedule, your, I'll, I'll be honest with you, your parents' work schedule is more of a friend to them in terms of being able to read the Bible than your school schedule is. There's so many things about a school schedule, school activities, staying up late, studying, getting up early in the morning. Especially this is true for those of you who are university students. I mean, the, the worst place in the world sometimes to find time to be alone with God in the study of His Word is on a university campus. I'm talking about religious university campuses. You're up late, you've got people, the dorms are noisy. It's hard to find a place where you can really have that time and that place to yourself. But you need to battle for that time and that place where you can spend time with God in prayer. You'll have to battle for it. You'll have to fight for it. But you must spend time with God alone in prayer. You cannot know how critical. You can't know how crucial that is. And if you will do that, there is absolutely no end to what God can do with your life. I, I, I tell you what, there, there is absolutely no end to what God can do with your life. There are people in this church who were blessed when they trusted in Jesus as their Savior to have someone come to them and say, listen, if you'll just take time, if you'll just spend time in the Word of God, God will change your life. And they took that seriously. And God has used His Word to change their life. Now, you can talk all the way around the Christian life. You can come, you can have meetings, you can have good times. You can go to camps, mom and dad. You can go to conferences, you can go to seminars. You can do all that kind of good stuff. But I'm just going to tell you, nothing will take the place of the Word of God in your life. You want to be a part of something big, something God's in, you're going to have to be a student of the Word. All right, so you go up, you worship Him. You listen up, you spend time in His Word, and then you speak up. When do you speak up? After you've gone up and listened up. See, the problem is that a lot of people speak up before they've gone up and listened up. They haven't worshipped God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says about some prophets, woe be to the prophets, who say, God has said, God has said, when God has not said. He said they have run when they have not been sent. They have spoken a vision out of their own hearts. Wow. What does he say? He's saying, here are people who are trying to do something big. God's not even a part of it. God didn't initiate it. It wasn't born in time of worship before him. It wasn't authenticated by the Holy Spirit speaking to their heart through the Word of God. They just dreamed up something and said, God said, do it. So he said, woe be to the prophets who says, God has said, God has said, when God has not said. They run when they've not been sent. They speak a vision out of their own hearts. When do you speak up? After you've gone up? And after you've listened up, look at what the Scripture says. Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. And what follows then is all the commands about how to get ready, that Moses is going to go up, God's going to give the law on Mount Sinai, how to sanctify themselves, how to make themselves holy, how to prepare themselves for receiving one of the most significant documents ever given by God. Originally on those tablets, carved by the finger of God on the tablets of stone. Incredible. But after Moses had gone up and after he had listened up, God said, now it's time to speak up. Could you put this someplace in the margin of your Bible? Did you know that when you have met with God, when you have met with God, what you say will be attended by supernatural power. 
when you have met with God, I mean really met with God, you say, well, if I go in there and tell them this, they'll think that's the craziest thing in the world. If you've met with God and God has instructed you to say that, you will have supernatural power attending what you say. Think about it for a few moments. 1.6 million people hanging on the words of an 80-year-old man. A man who ran for his life and spent 40 years out in the wilderness and showed up having been stripped of every vestige of royalty. And yet all these people realize my life hangs in the balance with everything that Moses said. You see, when you've gone up and when you've listened up, then when you speak up, what you say will be attended by supernatural power. A lot of people wonder why nobody pays much attention to anything they say. Nobody cares to hear them. Nobody knows about their plans. Nobody. It's because they haven't prayed it through. It's because they haven't heard from God. They're just talking. They're not saying what God has put it on their heart to say. They're not speaking as an oracle of God. I, I'll be honest with you. I have seen some of the most seemingly insignificant people bring leaders to their knees because what they said to the leader had the touch of God upon it. And God broke the leader's heart. Not the seemingly insignificant individual. God broke through the shell of that person's heart. Now, we all want to be a part of something big. And we rush to speak up. This is what we're going to do. This is the way. These are the plans. This is what we, man, these are the things we dream about. This is what we're going to do for God. Wait a minute. As a friend of mine said, God doesn't want you to help him. He wants to help himself to you. And the only way that's going to happen is for you to go up, to listen up, and then to speak up. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray, thanking you for your word, thanking you for the fact that every one of us can be a part of something so much bigger than we are. If we simply will go up and worship before you, if we will listen to what you're saying to us by your Holy Spirit and through your word, and then if we realize only then as we speak up does what we say carry with it the weight of the supernatural. Lord, so much of what we do is so frivolous, so silly, so foolish. We want to be a part of something that can only be described in terms of your supernatural power working among us. Oh, God in heaven, teach us how to be a part of something big. While our heads are bowed and while our eyes are closed and the praise singers are coming, we're going to have a time of invitation tonight. And this is your invitation. It could be that you need to simply come to this altar and confess, Lord, I, I don't go up day by day to worship you. I grab my Bible to see what you have to say or to just read something or, or I sing a few songs or listen to some music and, and uh, the thought never occurs to me I need to focus upon God and who he is and take my attention off of myself and put my attention solely upon God. Lord, help me to be a worshiper. Help me to be a worshiper of you. Maybe you need to come to this altar and confess that to God. Ask Him to correct that in your life. Maybe you need to come to this altar and say, Lord, the issue has not been worship so much. I haven't spent so much time in your Word. 
I've come to you and, and yet I've just been ordering myself around with my imagination. And then maybe you need to confess, Lord, I say a lot of things that I tell people are, are what you're saying, but you've never said that. I've been speaking up before I've gone up and listened up. Lord, I want to confess that here at this altar. I don't want to be like a prophet who speaks a vision out of his own heart, who says God has said when God hasn't said it, who runs when he's not been sent. Lord, I want to hear what you say, and I want to say the words that you have said to others. And so you'll want to come to this altar. Prayer warriors will be coming. I'm going to ask any of you who may have come in earlier services, and we've not introduced you to your new church family, to come and find a place over here to your right where it says seating for new members. And then this, this invitation is for those of you to whom the Lord is speaking about joining this church. I would urge you to join tonight, to just step to an aisle and say, look, this is where we, we are we coming. This is where God is teaching us. He's led us here. He's feeding us here. And this is where we need to be. We want to plant ourselves with these people. Well, I would urge you to come wherever you're seated in this auditorium as a single person, as a family, as a couple, and God's spoken to your heart. Just step out of the aisle. Just make your way down here. Find a counselor and say, look, we want to join her. I want to join. We want to become a part of this church family. Would you do that tonight? Your coming is going to encourage some others. And it may encourage a very important person to come forward. You say, important? Oh, no. This is the kind of importance I'm talking about. A person who needs Jesus as his Savior or her Savior. Because you see, in an auditorium like this, in a crowd like this, there are always people who, if they die tonight, are going to go to hell not heaven. Now, they want to go to heaven, and they know a lot about Jesus, and they believe what they know, but they have never repented of sin and trusted in Jesus. And maybe I'm speaking about you this evening. And you'd have to say, I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. And I really want to settle that. I really want to get that right with God this evening. And so when we stand, I want to encourage you, wherever you're seated, to make your way to an aisle, come to this altar, find one of these counselors, and say something this simple. I want to trust Jesus tonight. I want to trust Jesus tonight. And when you repent of your sin and receive Christ by faith as your Savior, He forgives you, He cleanses you, He gives you abundant life, He gives you eternal life. All of these things are available to you if you receive Him by faith as your Savior. Let me ask you a question. Do you know in your heart beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'll have another service, another time, another place where you can trust Jesus? Or would you have to say, you know, I don't have that settled. I don't have that settled. Some are already coming to this altar. Why don't you just get up and come and join them? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Counselors are here. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting, believing that your Holy Spirit is at work in this place. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you in power will move in this place tonight. Bring to this altar all who will say yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Ron Dunn Podcast is available only for personal edification, not to be duplicated, uploaded to the web, or resold without prior written consent. It is managed and operated by Sherwood Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to additional Ron Dunn messages, visit SherwoodBaptist.net slash bookstore and search Ron Dunn. For more Ron Dunn materials, including sermon outlines, devotions, and scanned pages from a study Bible, please visit RonDunn.com.